Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. think is really interesting when you look at all of this. So we've got Assyria to the north, Cush to the south. Yep. We've got the, the Phoenicians or Philistines to the, west. to the west. We've got the Moabites and the Ammonites to the east. We Hold kind of on. cover the full compass points. Uh-huh. Uh, and so it's like Zephaniah is using, I was going to say a shorthand to describe all nations of the world, but it's quite a longhand. Really. It's a whole chapter it's of 15 longhand. verses of longhand. <laughs> so it's a, it's a long way of saying the judgment of rejecting God and the witness of who he is is coming to all nations. Welcome back to another episode of River Life's Bible Streams podcast. It's like a song at the start. Mm, Song of my heart. Oh, nice. Um, My name is Scott McKinnon. I'm joined by Joe Luton. Yes, you are. I am here. It's good to be here. That's right. Welcome to you as well. Hello. Thank you. Mm. We're two pastors uh, out of River Life Baptist Church and uh, yeah, we like the Bible. We're no official scholars, but we have some training. Yes. A little bit. We've dabbled. We've dabbled. We're trained enough to be dangerous. Well, you've done like 12 years in, of life group Bible study. We Yes. we Plus. A lot of years of doing full read-throughs of scripture. Yeah, that's Cover to cover. And then, you know, we did some training. Anyway, uh, <laughs> less about us, more about the Bible. Yeah. This Bible um, streams podcast channel is where we explore scripture. We yeah. jump into the word and we believe that this word has been given to us for very good purposes and mm. it's going to change our life if we really understand mm. it yeah. and explore it. So we are in our ninth episode on the Minor Prophets, the 12. The book of the 12. The book of the 12. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. On our way through. We're almost there. Yeah. We're almost there. We're close. We are, we are into Zephaniah this week. Zephaniah, that's right. Zephaniah. So we've only got three more after three this. Three after this. Haggai. There you go. Zechariah and Malachi left. Yeah. Anyway, let's awesome. uh, let's jump in. So we're gonna we're gonna jump into this book. Um, it's gonna be a ninth episode. If you haven't already uh, heard an episode um, in this series, definitely recommend going back. Yeah, uh, head back to Hosea. Yeah, head back. Eight all episodes all months ago. I know. It seems like ages ago, doesn't <laughs> it? Does. It, but it does indeed. It's been a really good series, I think, so far. Yeah, I'm really it's excited, good. and I think uh, as we've mentioned throughout this series, that the twelve are actually put in this order for a particular reason. Mm. And we've explored some of that, not you know at many, many lengths at all really, but pretty well we think that is in order. So just being faithful to that, how about you go back and listen to them? It's, it's, it makes sense. I like to do it in the proper order. That's kind of like the OCD in both of us. That like it's not wants... a disorder, it's just the OC. Okay, all right. 
decently and in good order. It's, it's yeah, scriptural. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> For some things. Systematic, okay. perhaps. Systematic, I like that. That's a better word. Yes. But yes, Zechariah. No. Is, is in a few weeks. <laughs> Zephaniah. Zephaniah. <laughs> Oh man, Very you're good. throwing me off now. I'm not nice. prepared for Zechariah. He's a lot longer than Zechariah. Yeah, we're doing Zechariah, seven yeah. chapters. It's more than that. <laughs> uh, is it? Uh, uh, <laughs> Zephaniah, three chapters. Zephaniah. Uh, this is the the very last of our kind of pre-exilic and exilic prophets. Yeah. And then after this, the, the last three we have are all post-exilic prophets. That's right. So what do we mean by that? There is an, a particular moment for the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom where they uh, become conquered or they go into exile. And so uh, some of these books are written prior to that moment Mm. and they're commenting on the forecoming uh, exile that's to come. Uh, And Zephaniah is one of these books. Yeah, it's it's, uh, made very clear up front. We actually have a time frame for Zephaniah, which is good. Some of them, like Joel and others, have Mm. no kind of time frame about when. They're just kind of got to have a bit of a stab at guessing. Um, But for Zephaniah, Mm. he says quite clearly up front, he's he's prophesying during the reign of the king Josiah, Mm. who we know all about, uh, who shows up in 2 Kings and in Chronicles. And we know he was uh, a good king. He was a very good king of the southern kingdom, so of the kingdom of Judah, uh, which is where Jerusalem was. Jerusalem features heavily in mm-hmm. in Zephaniah's writing and his prophecy. Um, but so we're talking about kind of the um, the mid to late six hundreds. Okay. Yep. So yep. late seventh century BC, um, as the northern kingdom of Israel has already gone into captivity. Yes. Um, a hundred years or so earlier, mm-hmm. um, Assyria has been the kind of the, the the ruling power in the southern kingdom as well. Over time, they get defeated by Babylon. Babylon's come onto the scene by this point, but um, but we don't really hear Babylon spoken mm-hmm. about too explicitly yeah. in in Zephaniah for reasons which we will get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this time of Josiah, it's really quite a significant moment because uh, if you've if you've read the historical prophets, Samuel and Kings, um, the the former prophets, uh-huh. or the latter prophets that we're in now. Um, uh, in, in the, the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible, they're called the former yeah, prophets. Yeah. So Very Samuel and Kings, yeah, Joshua judges, yeah. Um, so in in the life of Josiah, he becomes king at a young age, and then at some point during his reign, they find the books of the law in the temple. So the, the law's been lost. Mm-hmm. They haven't been following the law. Yeah. And during his reign, as they're cleaning out some of the storerooms in the temple, they discover these scrolls that sound like the book of the law. Um, We're assuming it's actually Deuteronomy that they found. And some of the things that come out in Zephaniah's writing represent some of the things found in Deuteronomy. So there's the suggestion is that he's prophesying somewhere around the time of Josiah's reforms after they've begun, but Uh before they're fully implemented. Uh, and so we're kind of they're thinking around kind of six twenty something BC in there before um before Josiah has meets his meets his tragic end mm. um, and yeah, you can find more about Second uh, Kings twenty two twenty three yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool though what he does it's a yeah. real proper like you know we'd say Reformation or what's well, a revival it it at, is at a level yeah, yeah so it is people return to the Lord the whole deal so it says uh, can I just jump in yeah. and read so it says in 2 Kings 22, um, well, all throughout, but um, in the 18th year of King Josiah, so he's a young king, mm. you know. And with, those, with those statements, in particularly in Kings, um, 
it's hard to say whether they're that's their age or the length of time they've been reigning. So he's either been king for 18 years or is 18 years old. Because in his 18th year, uh, the, the, yeah, we don't sure. know what the reference point of starting is, but he's still a young king. Young king. Um, uh, yeah, so it says here that the Lord said to him, go up to Hilkiah, mm. is that right? Yes, the, um, the high priest, that he may count the money that's been brought into the house. And as it goes on, Hilkiah, the high priest, uh, said to the secretary, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. <laughs> I found it. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes and the king commanded the priest and um, all these other people, the secretary and the servant saying, go inquire the Lord for me and for the people and all of Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because of our fathers. And they haven't obeyed the word of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Mm. And it goes on to to say that he actually like he pulls down all the idols as well. Yeah. So it it's no surprise that Zephaniah writes like he does that we'll unpack because yeah. for some significant period of time. So Josiah's life, living memory, no one's followed the word of the Lord. A new king was actually supposed to write out the words of Deuteronomy when they started their reign. That's the that tradition. Was their job yeah. was to do that. So they knew the law of the Lord. And so that hadn't happened to the point where no one knew. Yeah. It'd be kind of like going to church and no one remembering that they're supposed to open the Bible. Mm. Like, oh, we forgot about the Bible. Did you do you remember the Bible? I don't remember the Bible. And what even is the, this book, you know. What was the the king who reigned prior to Josiah? So it Manasseh. M, Manasseh, yeah. Mm. Bad he dude. was insane. Bad dude. He, ru- he ruled like 55 years, I'm yep. pretty sure. And like, yeah, just destroyed yep. all that Israel knew of God and mm. the, the history, but also just defamed like everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like so profanities forever, like idols in all sorts of spots. He was one of the worst kings. And so that's kind of. For some the, reason, I named well. I didn't. One of the guys in our band when I was a teenager yeah. named our band Manasseh. <laughs> so, it's like what Christian kids do when they want to rebel. But also, wasn't there a Manasseh? There's a tribe. In the tribe? Manasseh, okay, yeah. sure, sure. Okay. So, so yeah. one of the split tribes from yeah, Benjamin, Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, Ephraim, um, yeah, Josephs. Okay, so, so there's some good. There's some good. Yeah, name. I don't know which. Anyway, that's, that's <laughs> anyway, another story. That is a rabbit trail. That's for day. to say, all of this short little context is to say that this is what Zephaniah is writing into. This is the. This is kind of the context that he's writing into. Yeah, you, you've got to capture the reality that when these these minor prophets are speaking out these judgments against particularly the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, it's not like it's just someone slipped up once. It's like David, you know, had his affair with Bathsheba and like, mm. uh-oh, we're in trouble now. Like this is a generational issue where for generations people have not just given up on God, They've rejected him entirely. They've stopped reading his word. They've stopped listening to his prophets. Mm. They've stopped worshipping him in in the temple properly. They set up idols to false gods all around the place. Like they've literally walked away from that covenant that God made with them in Abraham and with Moses and with David. They've rejected their job to be God's image bearers into the world. And they're walking in the complete same way as the Gentile pagan nations around them doing all of the things that they did. So not being the light in the world, the the salt, all those things that we know they're supposed to be, but they're just being the same as everyone else. And so 
God's holding them to a higher standard going, hang on, you've had a revelation of who, of who I am, but you're not representing me to yep. the world. This is yep. a big, big issue. So we've talked about who Zephaniah is. Uh, so he's a prophet, and uh, it mentions this kind of in verse 1. You know, A lot yeah. of these prophets, they set up the context of who they are and who they're, who they're like mm. in the first chapter, um, verse 1, pretty yeah, well. So we know the word of God came to him. Zephaniah means probably Yahweh is hidden, uh-huh. which is interesting. And Very about to go interesting. Into uh-huh. exile. Yeah. Um, he lists Hezekiah as one of his ancestors, mm-hmm. is probably the king Hezekiah. Yep. So his great-great-grandfather. Um, so he's probably in the royal family or connect, like he's, mm-hmm. he's descended from one of the kings. So he's part of David's family. But his father's name... Uh, Cushy. Yeah, it's a cushy name. It implies that he's probably has a mixed racial heritage. The Cushites were the Ethiopians, the ancient Ethiopians. And so yeah. potentially has people in his family line who are from outside of Israel, mm. which is an interesting space too when we find out what Zephaniah's role is to, to proclaim. Yeah. Um, but because he has that, that um, diverse heritage, he kind of has a space to speak into Definitely. what the nations yeah. are doing and what God's doing with the nations. We'll get to that. We'll and also that. the fact that he's probably privy to um, the royal court and the happenings of what's going on. So yeah. as international relations are going on, as words coming in from the nations all around Israel, Judah, and how they interact with them, he's aware of these things. And so he's probably speaking into that space, yeah. which is quite an interesting time because yeah. so, it's so much upheaval in Judah at this time Brilliant. because of Josiah. Brilliant. Okay, so we've talked about who he is, some of the dating around when he uh, was. So it's like 6th sixth, sixth, uh, century BC or 7th seventh, seventh, seventh century BC, um, which is further back than some of the recent books we just went through. So they're yeah. a lot more close to and very much inside the exile as it's Yeah, happening. this is right on, the, right on the cusp of the exile. So the northern kingdom is already gone. The southern kingdom is only one more kind of king. Yeah proper king away from exile. So this is the close of of the southern kingdom. Uh, but I think the really big, um, the big things that come out, yeah, the big some of the theological themes. themes. We, we talk about the themes and how uh, we put them up front because as we then can, go throughout the, the text, you can be like, oh, yeah, I remember they prefaced that. Yeah, so you start to pick them up. Some of the big themes that we've actually talked about already throughout this series, mm. they come up. Yeah, again. it's like Zephaniah is probably the heaviest going so far. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty intense. It, it is definitely one of the big themes is God's judgment of sin and idolatry, which mm-hmm. is not unfamiliar. Yep. Um, but also His divine salvation. Yep. Uh, one of the big themes that come through is God's faithful remnant and His yep. dealings with a faithful remnant. Um, and the day of the Lord. Yeah, the day big, of the Lord. Big, big thing. Another big thing. Uh, and the nations are a huge mm-hmm. deal in in Zephaniah. So both God's judgment of the nations and God's restoration of the nations, and that all comes through. But I think one of the things that's probably most shocking about Zephaniah, I think it's one of those books where um, if you've ever come across people who don't hold to the to a Christian faith that the Bible's true, particularly people who are aggressively anti-Bible. Yeah, we all know those. Yeah, Zephaniah sort of is one of those books that you would imagine they would quote because it sounds like God is just angry. He's mad. He got up on the wrong side of the bed. Yep. He's just unimpressed with everyone. And he just is the the big party pooper in the sky. He just wants to come down and ruin everyone's fun. Everyone's just doing their thing and he's going to come, you know, kick over the Barbie, shut down the party, take everyone to jail kind of 
deal. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of hard, but I think the the essential part of reading Zephaniah is to know where it fits into that whole big narrative. Because judgment only happens because of a rejection of yep. the covenant that had already come before. Mm-hmm. And judgment doesn't ever come without restoration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so even in Zephaniah, the vast majority of the book is about the judgment, but there's still yeah. the the promise of restoration. In so that. good. And remembering as well that these books, while they are written for specific purposes and for specific people groups and nations and, and you know, just different, I guess, you know, we'd say geographical or demographical people. Yep. These are all written through this funnel we've talked about of the exile. Mm. And so the beautiful thing about these 12 is that we're viewing them and reading them. If we're faithful to scripture itself, we're reading them together as a whole, as a part of the overall story yeah, of yep. God's salvation and God's restoration and God's presence mm. with us. Yeah, and it gets quite complex knowing about what happens when, and this is the issue with prophecy. So go back and listen to our episode on Old Testament prophecy and how we've talked about it as we've gone through this, that pardon me, sometimes it's hard to work out what's going to happen when as the prophets are declaring this. So you kind of need that context of God did set everything right, both in the restoration of Israel from the Babylonian exile and also in Jesus, the whole world is set right, and eventually he will set everything right, and the day of the Lord comes a number of times. Mm. It happens in the judgment in that exile. It happens Whoa, with Jesus. We're it jumping ahead here. Come on, come on, come on. Like it's all this. Anyway, right, we'll touch on that a bit more. The other thing that, um, just to give you a grid as we work through this, it's three chapters. I think probably the easiest outline to follow. There's a whole, you know, all different Bible scholars. Yep. Anyone writing an introduction to a study Bible <laughs> book will have a different yep. outline. It's just part of the way that they think. Probably the most helpful one I found is the Bible Project's outline for Zephaniah. Breaks it into three sections, almost copying the three chapters, but not quite. Yeah, I was reading another one and, and they did pretty well the same yeah, thing, so but not quite. First section, all about the judgment on Jerusalem. So judgment at home. Yep. Uh, then picking up just a little into chapter 2, verse 4, through to chapter 3, verse mm-hmm. 8, judgment on the nations and Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So Jerusalem gets twice. And then the third big section is the last bit from about chapter 3, verse 9 to the end, verse 20, which is the hope then for the nations and yep. for Jerusalem. Yep. So it's the judgment on everyone and then the restoration and the hope for everyone. And yep. that, that, that's the big movement. And of, you can pretty well break them up into chapters. Yeah. So Mostly. Yeah. Mostly. There's Mostly. a few that... Don't quite line up. Yeah, but that's right. But uh, all that is to say, here's some context to what we're going to jump into now. So let's jump into chapter one of Zephaniah. So chapter one, uh, this is going to set up pretty well this whole chapter up to, um, yeah, chapter two, verse pretty well three mm-hmm. is going to be talking about God's judgment on Jerusalem. And that's yeah. kind of the, the main focal point is it's starting home. You know, I think yeah. it was, was it Amos? I, I think we got this wrong last episode, but <laughs> I think it was Amos or Obadiah <laughs> yeah. who, you know, had this outside first. So there was judgment of 
the nations. Look how bad they are. Oh, wow, look at all these people surrounding you. Oh, no, they're so bad. Oh, no, it's circling in. Yeah. It's coming in close and mm. look at yourself. Yeah, definitely you one of the previous check it out. My profits. <laughs> one of the previous yeah. ones. But this one, it's starting with Jerusalem. Yeah, it starts which on the inside is, working out. Jerusalem is this holy place where the temple mm. is. Yeah, well, and it makes sense if Zephaniah is who we think he is, related to the king yeah. in the royal family, a prophet knows that this, space. This, this is stuff. the inside. Place. So whereas I think, again, I think it was Amos, who was the... Who's the shepherd. The shepherd boy. Uh, Outside or, yeah. yeah, so that makes sense. But mm. also, yeah, we're saying this guy, he knows what he's talking about. He's starting with the temple. Mm. This book tends to, to be more um, aimed generally at... The religious leaders, the political leaders do get a mention, but there's not so much an emphasis on um, injustice to the poor and that kind of thing. There's more of an emphasis on how people have rejected God. Yeah. So this is really like the final straw. Yeah. Uh, um, and so as we come to it, Zephaniah is only recorded here. He doesn't show up in any other book. So he's not recorded in Kings and Chronicles as yep. being there. Yep. Um, so we... We only have that context from this book, but which it, is more than it's so. It's so clearly trying yeah. to express the word of the Lord. Yes, that they held it to be authoritative yeah. from the time. So after the introduction, verse one of chapter one, which is the vast majority of these prophets, they all had a little introduction yeah. to let you know. It kicks straight into um, pretty much a, an intense oracle of judgment against Judah and Jerusalem. Yeah, it's insane. It's just straight in. <laughs> I was uh, I was actually listening to. Uh, I was listening to this as I traveled. So, you know, I went to my Bible app and yep. pressed play. I was like shook. I was like, oh my goodness. This Straight up in your face. Insa- like this is a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago I was getting, get my head around this and it was just insane. Mm. Just like this intense, like passion of God. Oh yeah. Of his judgment against his people. Yeah. So it's kind of got this big, uh, it sounds like the Noah's flood the way mm. that God talks about how he's going to judge the earth. Yep. He's going to sweep everything away. It's this... Can I just read the first verse? Yeah, just go for it. From th- verse 2 and 3 is good. <laughs> 2 and 3, it says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Pretty insane. Yeah. And this is where it gets complicated because God said pretty clearly after the flood in yeah. Genesis that he wouldn't do that again. Mm. That he wouldn't do it with water, that he wouldn't destroy humanity like that. And so you kind of get, although it's this huge, intense statement of God, there's this undercurrent that runs the whole way through, usually, usually highlighted in the negative in Zephaniah, but of these people who do remain faithful to God. So you get a little bit further down after this. In this same kind of section, he's just said, I'll stretch out my head against Judah Mm -hmm. and Jerusalem. I'll cut them off. But then it says in verse 6, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him, kind of implying that there are those who do it right. Mm. And so it's it's kind of focused in from that wide blanket, everything's going to end it comes into those who are being disobedient to God. These are the ones who yeah, actually... Those people here. who bow, yeah. Yeah. And so it's actually a call really to seek Yahweh. It's kind of... It makes me think of the way that Jonah went to Nineveh and said, 40 days, judgment's coming, and then everyone sought the Lord. Yeah. Zephaniah says, God's going to destroy everything. So seek the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so pay attention. What really comes through is that 
wickedness is not God's plan for humanity, right? Like that's the big issue. And idolatry is, a, is an affront to God that people have, have bowed down to everything else other than him. Like they bowed down on the roofs to the hosts of heaven. So it's like they're worshipping the that stars. That is a bit tricky to say. It, it is. And it says in verse 5, those who bow down and swear to God, yet also swear to Milcom, who's yeah, right. yeah, one of the local gods, uh-huh. not a good guy. So it's like, come on, you have forgotten not only the covenant, but also the laws. Oh, yeah, the whole thing. They've, they've, Ten forsaken, commandments. they've hey. forsaken Yahweh for in other fact, gods. In uh, fact, yeah, you'll have no other god but me. Yep. Boom. So verse 4, they're worshipping Baal, the Canaanite fertility and mm-hmm. storm god. Verse 5, they're worshipping Milcom, the Ammonite god, who is explicitly told to them not to worship him in 1 Kings. Mm-hmm. 1 Kings 11, it's like explicit, do not worship this god. Mm. Um, the hard part is that word Milcom could also be translated as um, they bow down to the Lord. They swear to the Lord, but they also swear to their king. Hmm. And so it's either elevating a human to the status of God and worshipping them instead of God, or it's worshipping this Ammonite God. All of this, I think, is bringing to mind, um, like, well, even the pictures that I'm that that I was you know thinking about through this opening bit is. Man, it reminds me of Genesis. Well, yeah, that because, actually comes up in a bit. There's this yeah, process of decreation. That's right. It re- exactly. It's like mm. uncreated things. It's like he, he, it's like God's he's laying it to waste, but he's not then just leaving it in that place, which we're going to get to. But even here, I'll sweep away everything from the face of the earth, man, beasts, birds of heaven, fish of the seas, rubble of the, of the man, the wicked, and then all these gods that they're worshipping. I feel like... Even here, Zephaniah is reminding the people, hey, 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 come on. Who mm. is the one true God mm. that we're worshipping? Well, that, that's Get the reverse back. creation order yeah, exactly right there. exactly right. It's man back to beasts, back to birds, back to fish. fish. Yeah, so yep. this is, it's decreation right there. It's like you've got, you got it all wrong. You're wrecking it. But what's also interesting that doesn't come through in the English is there's a lot of harvest language in it too. So the phrase is like sweep away everything and cut off everything. They're uh-huh. all... It's all harvest language. And so that, again, plays into a subtext which we lose in this, but it plays into the way that Jesus talks about what happens on the day of the Lord, this harvesting, Mm -hmm. you know. We know from the Gospels that the harvest is ripe, you know, all these kind of things. Yeah, cool. It's all playing into the same thing that we lose entirely because we're removed from the culture and the language. But it's all under there, including that bit that we're talking about before from verse 6, when it says turning away Turning back turning from, falling, back from Lord. falling Lord. Like one commentator I was reading is saying, this is a, like a trigger phrase to say, this is covenant disloyalty. Huh. So this is what they're called to do is to follow the Lord. And when they turn away from following the Lord, it's like a, mm. a shorthand way of saying they've broken the covenant. They've yeah, rejected wow. the covenant. They've rejected the God of the covenant. And that's Which, really important for Zephaniah. And that makes sense for us as well, right? Because mm. we, you know, we have a, a big onus importantly on intimacy mm. as Christians you yeah. know, and relationship with God and knowing him. And so when we seek God, we seek his face, we seek his presence, it could mm. be translated. That's what we're talking about, intimacy. So when you turn your back on him, yeah. that's going away from mm. from him. And it's funny because, uh, uh, well, this is maybe a bit pop culture I don't know, but it's Christian pop culture, so it's probably fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. John Mark McMillan, oh, yes. uh, his two albums ago, I'm pretty sure, he uh, released an album called 
the Mercury and the Lightning. And it was all about how he felt like God was facing um, the wrong way. He thought, you know, he's in his relationship with God. He was coming to this place of like, I just feel like I'm always staring at your back, God. And even in, and so he, he was writing this experience down and in that process, draw closer to him. But the truth is that God's not turned his back from us. Mm. We've turned our back from him. Mm. And so and if you look on Spotify yeah. or whatever, Instagram, whatever, you'll see that the, the, I guess the artwork is this old statue of Mercury. The God. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Fun fact. Pop culture Christian. Great. Nice. Thai. I don't okay. know. But Boom. truth is, <laughs> God hasn't turned his back on us. Mm. The people here have turned yeah, their that's back. Yeah, that's the on big message him. of Zephaniah. And that, that's what's important. So verse six ends this kind of opening kind of rush, this opening salvo, this opening kind of brutal oracle about God. And then it hits verse seven. It says, Be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is near, and the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. So this introduces this next yeah. idea of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. But what's actually interesting before we jump into that is that um, we've talked about this before, but when you look at the structure of how this first section runs, yep. it's a chiasm, it's uh-huh. a chiastic structure, with verse 7 at the center. Of course. So of course it starts it with, in verses 2 and 3, kind of, God's just coming into the whole world, boom. He's going to sweep everything away. We just talked about it. And then specifically, verses 4 to 6, is punishment for Judah and Jerusalem. But at the center, at the high point is be silent. Be silent. Hush. God's showed up. He's on the world stage. Pay attention. As we walk out of it for the rest of chapter 1, we go back to Jerusalem's fall that's coming up. And then the last few verses of chapter one is the destruction of the world again, like this judgment against all the nations of the world and what they've done wrong. So chiastic structure is where it comes from the outside in to a focal point. And that's a technical uh, literary device, I guess, technique of the ancient people. We don't use it much these days. No, sadly. I think it'd be nice. Where Where could we use that this day? Could use it anywhere, but right, mate. When you're preaching, two weeks time, I want to see we a chiastic point structure. To the end, but, yeah, the point <laughs> is in the center. Uh, but that's the thing. So it actually comes to a point, a pinnacle in the middle of the passage, which is be silent before the Lord, pay attention to God, For stop your talking. The day yeah. of the Lord is near. Yeah. Now we've talked about this theme before, or this even phrase before. The day of the Lord. I think it first came up in Joel which was one of the first books that we looked at in this in this book of the 12. And we talked about this idea of the day of the Lord being a very close thing, but also something more. Mm. So it's very real. It's very close to them. It's something that may have a physical outworking um, in our present moment or in their, sorry, in their present moment. Yeah. But also can mean a few other things. Yeah. For Zephaniah, where does he kind of you know land this? Do you think? Uh, well, Zephaniah gives us pretty much every version of the day. Yes, of the Lord. he does. <laughs> um, so it starts here: for the day of the Lord is near. Very explicit. No misunderstanding of that. It's near. Yep. Uh, in verse ten, it says, "On that day," and there's a lot of that kind of phrasing in yep. Zechariah, Zephaniah. So he's looking forward on that day, which yep. is near. On that day, and starts to talk about what God's going to do. Uh, a little bit later in chapter one, verse fifteen and sixteen like, well, 14, actually, it couldn't be more descriptive of what this day is going to look like. It actually unpacks it a lot. I'll read it to you. It says, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. 
The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. Mm -hmm. So that's the description of this day. Yep. Not a great day by the sound no. of it. No. And uh, yeah, if you've read any of the Gospels, that might have come up. You might even have heard some similar languages from Isaiah mm. or Jeremiah. Uh, but yeah, particularly I think Matthew in Matthew. Yeah, the end of Matthew. 24, 25, 25 yep. onwards there. So uh, it's similar, but this, is, this has got a very particular... Um, implication for Jerusalem. Yeah, so he even uses yeah. he even uses real places. Yeah, like so in verse ten through to verse thirteen, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, the main entrance to Jerusalem. A wail from the second quarter. Yeah, one of the regions in the city. A loud crash from the hills. Yep. Wail, uh, all the mortar from the traders, etc. Yep. So it's it's using real language and real things. So what are we talking about here? What we're probably seeing here, what makes sense, is that this particular instance of the day of the Lord is when the when Jerusalem fell. Yep. So when it was taken, they were taken captivities by the Babylonians. They came, they they sacked the city. It was all done. We have this kind of thing happen again in the intertestamental period when the Romans show up. Yeah. They do the same thing to Jerusalem after they've returned from exile, but that's not this. And so you know, there's the implication that. This probably is most clearly identified in 586 yep. when Babylonians carry off. But it's also the day of the Lord then has this flip side that we get to in chapter 3, yes. which I won't spoil we won't, yet. We won't get there. But yep. it does. there's always a flip side to the day of the Lord. And so it is fulfilled at a level in that exile. Yep. But it's also looking forward to there will be a day when God sets everything right, where those who have rejected God will be judged. It'll be not great for them. You want to be in the faithful remnant on that day. Yes. Like to be found <laughs> seeking God, not like those who turn their back on God. And so there is that constant call. And, and this is what we see in the Gospels and what we have Jesus talking about. We see a lot of this language on his lips at the end of Matthew's Gospel, mm. like you said. Yeah. We find that kind of thing coming up in Revelation and kind of alluded to in Thessalonians. We've got instances of this kind of thing in Isaiah, kind of, and Ezekiel as well, but more on the positive side as the, the restoration and redemption yep. promise part of the day of the Lord. But Zephaniah really is making it clear that everyone is held responsible of their for their response to God. Yep. And that's what the day of the Lord brings. Yeah. And it's uh, I think, you know, you can read this and I think uh, it would be sad if you don't feel, you know, some sort of pain, yeah. uh, some sort of sorrow, some mm. sort of, you know, uh, distress almost, you know, mm -hmm. like not to put a, a damper, dampener on this like podcast, but like it's insane. It's intense, you know, like a day of wrath is near, mm. a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities. So like this, this language is, it's insane. It's, I don't know. It's, I don't want to like just jump mm. over this and like pretend it's not there. Mm, definitely. Mm. So, yeah, fortunately we get <laughs> chapter three. Yeah. <laughs> but it's real. Mm. And I think, I think it's important to see that, to say that it's not like the Lord himself is wanting to just jump over this. Yeah. And, and this is an interesting part because 
we know from history and a little bit later on, like we we're just talking about, Babylon is the one who carries this out for God. And God could very easily, like we saw in Nahum and those books about the Assyrians yeah. coming in, it could easily just say God's going to use them to do this. But God doesn't kind of use Babylon as his scapegoat to go, well, I'm going to send the Babylonians to do it. It sounds like God's going to do it by his own hand. He doesn't. He could easily say, I'm sending Babylon to do it, which kind of creates this wiggle room. Yeah. And doesn't make us sit in that tension of yep. going, God, how does this reconcile with what we know of you in Jesus? So in, in, I guess, Habakkuk, we talked about how the Assyrians, was it Habakkuk? Yeah, I think it was, or Naam. The Assyrians, they were the vessels almost. Yeah. They were the instruments of God's judgment. And it was quite mm. explicit to say, the Assyrians are coming, yep. and I, the Lord, I am willing, and actually I'm the one who has brought them in. So mm. we've got to wrestle with that. But this one, it doesn't say that. No. It doesn't say, hey, I'm going to bring yeah. Babylon in and they're going to destroy your city. I think it's important that, that we acknowledge that God takes responsibility for his actions. Uh, and even we were just recently recording a podcast with a dear friend of ours, Lindsay Farrell, and he said, you know, we don't need to kind of try and protect God's reputation. Yep. He's God. He is who yes. he says he is. Yes. And it's okay that this makes us uncomfortable we remember that the ultimate fullest revelation of God is in Jesus, who is slow to anger and abounding in love, who turns the other cheek. But there is a time in his second coming where Jesus comes as the conquering king, not as the suffering servant, and he sets everything right. And those who have been standing against him feel the wrath of their rejection of all that is true and good and holy in him. Um, What's interesting and where I find some kind of hints of this is in chapter 1, verse 7. See if you get this. Oh, this is a bit of a... See if you can get the Easter egg, Scott. <laughs> Be silent before the Lord God. I read this before. For the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. Okay, so the day of the Lord... I'm kidding. Uh, so sacrifice. Who prepared it? The Lord. Yeah. Normally he receives a sacrifice, yeah, interesting. right? That, Very interesting. That instantly made me think of John the Baptist. Hmm. Because when he sees Jesus, what does he say? The Lamb of God. Behold, in fact. Yeah. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yep. And then what does John the Revelator say when he sees the Lamb. Jesus in the heavenly realm? Yeah, yeah. It's a Lamb who's slain before, before the foundation, the foundation. Yeah, of, of the, the world. world. Like the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and has consecrated his guests. Yeah. Wow. So like I don't know I like I couldn't find any commentaries that referred to it but I kind of feel like Zephaniah is trying to he's seeing Jesus he's seeing God's solution to the problem wow before yeah. it comes up God's already made a way because the sacrifice was to restore relationship mm. it was to deal with the things that are broken down relationship and bring the two parties back together that mm. was the point that's mm. what the sacrifice did it dealt with my problem so that we could be back in relationship and if God is preparing a sacrifice there it's for me it's an absolute ringing bell saying, this is Jesus, yep. this is Jesus, this Come is on. Jesus. There's a way coming that God will make this right. And he's doing the work of making it right. So good. That's yeah, great. Right? How Come on. That? Yeah, I actually hadn't read that. So it's thank you cool. for pointing that out. That's good. And we do. weird to think that, uh, well, I think it's true that the covenant that he made, I think, with himself prior to any other covenant was that he would restore us mm. to a relationship with him. Yeah. Which Good. is great. Covenant Which is really essential. Yeah, and so the covenant comes up and, and it actually, again, like that harvest language I was just talking about, there's things that we don't pick up that 
pardon me, sit there right below the surface, which if you dig a little, if you explore a little, maybe if you've got one of those cross-reference Bibles, it comes up for you. But even at the end of this, this chapter, uh, into chapter 1, verse 17, it says, I'll bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord, which is actually taken right out of Deuteronomy 28. It's actually the, the covenant curses for disobedience to God. Blindness is one of those things. And so Zephaniah is kind of bringing this assumption that you understand what the covenant was because, remember, he's speaking to people who have just rediscovered the covenant. Yeah. Josiah, they've just, just found, found it. They've just read the it words. to everyone. Yeah. Everyone has repented. They've done that whole thing. And so it's really clear these are the issues and this is what God's bringing to the front right now. And so we finish chapter one with this kind of ringing, sobering declaration that Judah and, and the nation of Judah and the kings and Jerusalem itself have been disobedient. They've rejected God. And so the covenant punishments, the the promises that God made, if you want, to those who chose not to stay in covenant with him, they're ringing out and people are being faced with them. And this is coming. Chapter one finishes with this you know, bottom end of the chiastic structure where yep. there's a, a uncreation. We've walked out of it. We've just finished it. It says, uh, in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a mm. full and sudden end. He will make all the inhabitants of the earth. So that's yep. how it finishes. Then it jumps into chapter two. Now, chapter two, uh, really kind of verse three onwards, three or four onwards begins a new uh, I guess, you know, kind of theme or topic, which is uh, God's judgment against the nations. Yeah, this comes uh, in here. Yeah, so um, the nations uh, that are mentioned, um, the Philistines. Yep, to the west. To the west. On the, so the Philistines, um, basically later known How as... How can they be the, to the west? Well, so they're known later as the Phoenicians and they're the coastal sea trading people. So they're uh, along the coast, oh, okay. right on the Mediterranean coast. So down off the... The, uh, the the plateau that runs through the middle, like north to south through Israel, as you go down the hills to the coastal plain and the Phoenicians of the Philistines had set up camp along there. Uh-huh. And okay. So that's why they always went down to those places uh, where Goliath okay. and all that crew were, Gath and all those other places. So they went down to them because right. they were up high in the high country. Okay. And so there to the west, uh, they're, they're actually called another name in a few verses. Uh, verse five, they're called the Cher- the Cherethites or the Cherethites. I don't know how to say that. So uh, they're the, the Cherethites. Yeah, yep. Cherethites. Uh, so that's verse kind of four to seven. Mm-hmm. Then uh, two to eight, uh, sorry two eight to eleven. Then talks about uh, God's judgment against the nation of Moab. Yep. And Amon. Yep, they're both there. They're to the east, so they're kind of okay. east into the southeast, so into the desert region, the Arabah and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So they're but they're and they're related. Moab particularly is is related to um, the Moabites are related to the Israelites. Yeah, yeah, well, and yeah, and we read about that in Ruth. Ruth mm. was a Moabite. She herself. was interesting. Mm, they're all cousins. Yeah, pretty well. Well, because um, the Ammonites are from Lot's family. Uh huh. So they're all related. Yeah, right. Yeah, they literally are all related. <laughs> Actually, right. right then, so they're um, to the east. Then verse twelve talks about 
um, the Kushites. The Kushites, who we mentioned earlier, the, probably down into North Africa, the Ethiopians, the faithful, well, not the faithful, those who were kind of connected. We know that the Queen of Sheba had come up during Solomon's reign and connected Israel to those nations south of Egypt, so down into that that uh-huh. area, down into the Nile de- Valley below the Nile Delta and below Egypt. And so we think that these are the people that Zephaniah may be related to as well, personally. That's right. Because his father is Cushi, which is similar word, from this name. Similar, yeah. Yeah. And then finally, uh, Assyria. To the north, yeah. To north. So Our old friends. Ch- chapter t- 2, verse 13 and 15 talks about Assyria. Now, all of these, uh, this whole chapter is describing these nations and these yep. areas and these geographical places and it's pretty it's pretty real you know like things being squashed places that are lie yeah, down yeah. you know like yeah um and they're all at, at a level kind of personally tailored to these yeah. different places so, and the history yeah. they have with Judah and Israel and with the Lord it's interesting like you know, for the um, the Philistines, it says Gaza, then Ashkelon, then Ashdod, then Ekron. They were four of the five main cities of, Philistine, of oh, the Philistines. Right. Gath was the other one, which had already been destroyed earlier. And so these are the four, <laughs> four remaining. <left. laughs> and so, But they're listed south to north. So like there's this rising up as, uh-huh. you know, like from the least to the highest, God's going to overtake these wow. cities and destroy them. And so, interesting, because um, it says in verse five, these are the ones on the sea coast. That's the, how we know. That's right. They're they on the sea coast. Then yeah. there's, um, you know, the Moabites who are apparently taunting yep. the Israelites, making uh, boasts against their territory. Because were they in the hills? Well, they were out into the into deserty, the, yeah, deserty so, area. So not quite hills, but some of it's mountainous, some of it's not. I mean, I've not been. I've just looked at maps. Maybe know. you should go one day. I'd love to. Um, Anyone listening, welcome to sponsor me to go. Um, but they get a pretty hard word in verse 9 they shall become like Sodom Ammonites like Gomorrah a land possessed by nettles and salt pits a waste forever yeah that's yeah, not fun like, not great Sodom and Gomorrah was the city well the cities yeah that were destroyed a lot yeah uh, back in, in Abraham Jesus, yeah yep yep then we get the Cushites will be slain by the sword 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 and that's the only verse that they've got it just says yeah you also Kushites, yeah. you're going to be slain by the sword. Yep. Then the Assyrians, and we kind of, this is a little bit complicated because the language sounds like it's yet to happen, but it potentially has already happened by this point. Uh, it could be that um, Zephaniah is using the same language as he's using for all of these oracles, but he's saying it's going to happen to Assyria and Nineveh because they get a call out specifically in there. Yeah. Um, that it's happening to them, and so that gives us a bit of a dating point. But it could also be like we saw in some of the previous books. He's using what happened to the Assyrians and to Nineveh as the proof that what I've just said before that is going to happen. Like I'm putting them in the same yeah. boat as all of you, and so you know what already happened to them. We got that when we talked about the cities in Egypt, yeah. that had, like Thebes, that had thought they were so strong and they'd fallen, and they, that became the prophet's kind of, proof that God was going to do something yep. here. It's complicated with the language mm. because it all sounds the same, like it's all future. But it sounds like some of this, uh, or some of the sins that we're talking about here, um, a lot of them have to do with like pride and with you know seeing yeah. themselves as higher than they ought. Uh, it says in verse 10 that this shall be their lot in return for their pride mm. because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. Yep. And then it goes on. But I know that's a pun in English, but I don't know if it's a pun in the Hebrew. 
because Sodom and Gomorrah had to do with Lot. No, that is a pretty good pun. That's funny. Yeah, well, I but I don't know if it's a Hebrew pun or <laughs> True. it's just just as the luck of the draw. Show um, me their lot. <laughs> and then verse uh, this, 15, it says yeah, something right. like, everyone who passes by her who hisses and shakes their fists. So it's like... Well, even before that in verse 15, it says um, this city, we're talking about Nineveh, yeah. uh, it lives securely... Um, my Siri's just gone off. See, I said city. Ah, uh, thanks, Siri. Um, it says, I am and there is no one else. This this city said in their heart, I am and there is no one else. Mm. And so it's just this pride. Again, it's idolatry. It's setting something up as God other than God. But what I think is really interesting when you look at all of this, so I've got Assyria to the north, Cush to the south. Yep. We've got the, the Phoenicians or Philistines to the west. To the west. We've got the Moabites and the Ammonites to the east. We kind Hold of cover on. the full compass points. Uh-huh. Right? And so it's like Zephaniah is using, I was going to say a shorthand to describe all nations of the world, but it's quite a longhand. It's really. a whole chapter it's of 15 longhand. verses of longhand. <laughs> so it's a, it's a long way of saying the judgment of rejecting God and the witness of who he is is coming to all nations. What I find confronting in this, which isn't explicitly said in the text, and there's a bit more in this chapter, chapter that we'll come to in just a second, which becomes the kind of the thread that pulls us into chapter three. But the, what is interesting is what would God's judgment have been on these nations had Israel and God's chosen people done what they were commissioned to do in Genesis? Hmm. To bless, yeah, like bless to, the to, nations to be the image bearers of yeah. the one true God to show them what God was like that the nations will be blessed and so in a way be able to come to know who God was. Mm. Like it kind of like the fact that it starts with this judgment on on Judah and Jerusalem goes to all the nations and comes back to Judah and Jerusalem. Mm. Kind of it emphasizes the fact that there's a, I think there was a duty of care. Like you talked about it, I think in our episode in Nahum that um you know what responsibility was there on Israel to disciple the nations? Mm. Begging the question, what kind of you know, in, imperative is there to us to disciple people in, mm. in their relationship with God? Um, it's, yeah, it's quite... It's, yeah. I didn't find that in the commentaries, but it just stuck out to me as we went through that there was something significant in that. Um, yeah, it's, it's God's doing something there and there's an expectation that they should have understood and... The way that they have rejected God and his people by the way they have attacked them mm. has brought culpability to them, but there's still, for me, there's this hint of like, mm. shouldn't Israel have shown them what God was really like? Even before any of those compass points that we just talked about, yep. there's this beautiful verse in verse 3. It says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, all you who just uh, do his just commands, who seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. So that mm. that's kind of maybe using his name even there. You know, he's the one who Yeah, hidden. Well, hidden. Yeah, yeah, that's hidden. right. Yeah. Very interesting. Good play on that. Um, Good pick up. But um, thank you. Uh, but <laughs> then in verse 9, there's this, this word that we've talked about prior. We've already talked about this in previous episodes. But it talks about this remnant. It says, the remnant of my people shall plunder them and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. Yeah. That, I think that gives language to this kind of subtext that's been running the whole way through, particularly this chapter, but even what we talked about in chapter one uh, that was kind of spoken about in the negative. The, if there's those who have turned their back on the Lord, there must be those who are encouraged Surely. to not. Exactly, yeah. And so we get this idea of this remnant that comes out and, and Zephaniah explicitly uses yeah. that word. It's not like a, yeah. not just a theological 
under like word that we've yeah, made it's like up. trinity that we use no, to explain something we see in scripture it's, it's there it's in scripture yeah. Yeah. and so this idea is that there is a smaller faithful company of people who remain in relationship with God who will be preserved through. And you see this, it's a major theme throughout scripture. There's always a remnant that is preserved. We see it through the flood. There's a remnant. There's the eight people in the the ark. You know, we see it through the exile here, the the faithful remnant go to Babylon are actually kind of encapsulated and kept safe by going to Babylon. In a a sense. In a sense that it's preserved, their culture is preserved through that because of the Babylonian captivity. While everything falls apart back in the promised land, they keep it strong. In fact, our rabbinical traditions come out of Babylon because of what was established Uh there. They come back to the land. uh, And so there's this constant, and you look throughout history, the history of the church, there's always been this remnant that God uses uh, when it looks like everything's over. You know, um, Mm. America before the Great Awakenings was... A, a complete mess, but there was this faithful remnant that mm. prayed. Um, recently, heard Mark Sayers talking about just before the Wesleys kind of started mm. the the big revival in England, there was you know, single digit numbers of people at Easter services at cathedrals wow. in London. Yeah. Like the people weren't Unheard going to church, like, yeah. but there was a faithful remnant who pressed in, who pursued God, yeah. who He stirred up. So I think that's hope. That's some that's of the hope. hope. That's and that's what we're trying to get at here. It's not all just doom and gloom. And while it's real. While the day of the Lord is true, and it has happened, it has happened. You know, in the Old Testament, mm. it has happened in Jesus, which we'll get to, and it will uh, happen. And it again. will happen again. There's still this undercurrent of hope mm. for those who know the Lord. Yeah, and it's interesting because there's actually kind of instructions given to this faithful remnant throughout. Uh, Zephaniah is not neglecting them. Yeah, it's not like. The bad kid in the class is getting all the attention. <laughs> like Zephaniah is still saying, God wants you to know. So there's these imperatives to this remnant that come up right through chapter two, um, verse three: Seek the Lord, do His just commands, seek righteousness. Like yeah. these aren't just ideas; these are instructions. That's this right. is what you do to stay as part of the faithful remnant. Seek you keep the going. There's gather together, seek Him, um, be encouraged that you come and find unity while there's disunity and chaos and the rest of everything else. Like uh, as, as there's a word against Judah, there's this encouragement for them to all these faithful ones to come back together. And so this kind of sits underneath and pops up like you just read in verse 9, in amongst all of these oracles against the nations. So they're encouraged to seek the Lord in verse 3. In verse 9, they'll actually end up getting blessed They'll have the the plunder from these nations that are judged. Like God's not going to forget huh. them. He's going to give them plunder something on the way like, through. Like you know, riches, resources, riches. Yeah, yeah. blessing. You know, um, it keeps coming through the whole time that Yahweh through Zephaniah is building his case against the nations in Jerusalem. The the remnant are being encouraged to keep pursuing God. Don't give up. Find unity. Like while literally every direction around them is falling apart, they're being called to this point of unity. And it gets to the point and and the end of this section is the start of chapter three, which uh, kind of rounds out the oracles of judgment. It comes back to Jerusalem again, like we talked about before. Um, In the light of all of this, it says in chapter three, verse one, woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. Now you think here that that could be Nineveh still, because we just talked about Nineveh right right before that. that. And I think this is part of Zephaniah's kind of, really, he's thumbing his nose at, at the Israelites because he's just spoken out against Nineveh. He's just said, you're, you know, you're a terrible city. You're full of pride. You think that there's no one better than you. And yet you're going to become this desolation. Woe to this oppressing city. But then it says in verse two, 
She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her mm. God. Mm. And then it starts a little bit later. It talks about the law that she should follow in verse 4. They do violence to the law. All of a sudden, they, he's kind of tricked. You know, you can imagine the people in Jerusalem going, these nations are wrong. Oh, yeah, on. you're right. Get rid of them. Come on, They're Assyria. horrible. Yeah. You know, oh, <laughs> hang on. He's now talking about us and we thought he was talking about them. Um, Judah and Jerusalem the place of the temple, the place of the faithful. You know, we talk about the 10 lost tribes that were taken into the Assyrian captivity. A, a number of scholars suggest that really it wasn't the 10 lost tribes because the faithful who remained true to God had moved south when the northern kingdom went into apostasy and idolatry. Yeah, right. So we've got Israelites from all of the tribes in Jerusalem. They were supposed to be the ones who remained true because they had the proper way of worship. They had the law and all that mm. kind of stuff. We know, like we said earlier, they'd lost that. It was refound in Josiah, but it was all too late. Jerusalem have even had the pride of thinking, well, we're going to be fine because we've got the temple mm. and all that. But Zephaniah's like, no, I'm sorry. Your pride has has caused you to fall. You know, this is the hubris born of thinking that you're the chosen ones without being held accountable to that. And mm. so it's all kind of falling apart. The discipline that they had received should have led them to repentance, but it's actually just caused them to harden their heart even more. And so by the time we get to verse 8... It finishes this section of chapter three. It says, therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. Promise to the, to the remnant, wait for me. Because the day the, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, wait for me. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them to my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. And I think, <laughs> all over. Thanks for coming. But it doesn't end there. Praise God. Yeah. So we ended on the gloom, on the doom. Tough. Uh, the whole earth will be consumed, in Boom. fact. So my yes. mind's picturing like it being burnt. All over. Thanks for coming. Which is hard because how do we reconcile that with what we see from Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and Revelation about God actually creating a new heaven and a new earth, restoring it, redeeming it, bringing it all back into its created order, how it yeah. should be, right? Mm. Like this is complicated. This is why we get all sorts of different theological approaches to reading scripture because we've got to reconcile all these things to each other. It's got to be at some level able to communicate with itself and make sense in itself. You yeah. can't hold too much what they call cognitive dissonance the whole way through. We need to have some way of reconciling it. I think for me, as you read things like Zephaniah, as we look into these minor prophets, uh, we've talked about this in previous episodes, but if you didn't remember or if you didn't listen to them yet, maybe in your Bible as you read this, you see that the text isn't laid out in clear kind of, you know, left justified paragraphs, mm. right? Like literally as I look at Haggai, which is the next chapter in my, or the next book in my Bible, it's written like, Just you know, text, like, like normal text. text like but this one a, a is, it's indented and it's... yeah. It's set out like poetry because yeah. it is poetry. Uh -huh. It's an oracle of the law, but it's presented in poetry. Like we've seen in, in previous minor prophets, you know, three things the law will do and then four. It's like, is that seven in total or is it three things going to add an extra one? Like yeah. the point is that they're communicating what the law wants to say through through poetry, through imagery, through 
um, literary structure. And so, like, we have those chiastic structures, like, yes, like that's yeah. intentionally set it's up, purposeful, yeah. And so, this is the artistry of the prophet in their written work. Like, this is why we have writing prophets, and other ones we have spoken prophets, which we are told about in Kings and Chronicles and Samuel, but we don't have their writings. Mm. Zephaniah wrote it out, and so you've got to reconcile the fact that he's going to destroy all the earth. But he's going to preserve a remnant. So, which is it? Is it all or is it a remnant? <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, you're is burning it all the whole or some. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, where are these remnant going to live if you've destroyed yeah. everything? There's, there's hyperbole. Like he's he's exaggerating for effect. He's trying to understand the world is ending. We say it all the time. The world is ending, but it's not actually ending. It's just that something big's happening, and so we exaggerate yeah. it to express passion, which probably is hard for us to understand and reason with. And this is part of the difficulty with scripture interpretation in our 21st century western mindset mm. is that man we see things differently to what we think other people should see it as or through and the writers we're suggesting are definitely living in a different context to us so oh, yeah. let's read this and majority of this stuff through this kind of idea this poetic lens totally true um just been reading this book a little bit off topic, but I think it illustrates the point okay. really well. Uh, reading this book by a guy called Malcolm Gladwell called Talking to Strangers. And he talks about the psychological study that was done where a bunch of people were given these word stems. So they're given like two letters of a word with some blanks. So they had like GL blank blank. Glad. Glad, great. Thank uh, you. Or glue or glum uh-huh. or anything like that. And so these people were given a list of word stems, uh-huh. 20 or 30 of them, and they had to fill them out. And then they looked for patterns. So okay. someone had, had all these words that were quite aggressive words and they said to the person, so does this reflect your personality? Oh, like, oh, no, no, it just that's just what I thought of. Yeah. And, and to a person that they all pretty much said, no, this doesn't really reflect my personality. That's just the first thing that popped into my head when I saw it. The same group of people, after having done that, were given a list of responses that someone else had written to these same word stems yep. and were asked to make comment on this complete stranger's personality because of the word stems and so someone who had just said that has no reflection on my personality would look at a list the same list of words or stems and filled out and go oh this person seems to have issues with aggression (laughs) or this person seems to be depressed or this person seems to have this perspective on life and so the idea that we fill in the blanks about what strangers say because we're not relationally connected and we don't have an insight we We make all these assumptions about it and so that that contributes to everything about how we read. So we read Zephaniah, who is separated from us by two and a half thousand years, 2,700 years of history, different language, different culture, Mm -hmm. different stream of of worldview and thought. And we try and understand what he's saying and we fill in all these blanks and we make assumptions about his personality and what he's like. We know nothing about his personality. Mm. We just know that he spoke something that he says is from the Lord. Mm. And so this is where faith comes into it, but it also helps us really understand that when he's using literature, when he's when he's carefully choosing these words, he's trying to portray something. And so we will fill in the blanks when there's ignorance, but what we need to do is look at what the text is saying, great. understand the genre and the purpose, and then kind of build from that. So we exegete, we come out of the scripture, we don't try and isogeet, so read good. into the scripture. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to do in this Long story, whole so. Bible Streams podcast, really. Right. I'm just trying to work out ways to claim on tax all the books I buy. So <laughs> now that I've mentioned it, yeah, no, just kidding. Just no, kidding. You're joking. Um, okay. We don't do that. Um, <laughs> so let's get to this beautiful 
section on the deliverance mm. of yeah. not only Jerusalem, but the nations. Yeah. In fact, the nations first and then Jerusalem. Yeah. And what makes it even more powerful is the fact that the very previous word was everything will be destroyed. This is this juxtaposition. This is this sudden breakneck change of direction. This is, boom, we're taking a big turn right now. And you think everything's over. No, everything's actually going to be okay. Mm. All right, so it says, For at that time I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech. Huh, interesting. That all of them may call upon the name of the Lord. Now, remember in verse, in chapter 1. Yep. Um, they turn their back on They the turn their back and they actually say, hey, I belong to that God. Oh, no, I belong to that God as well. So they're yeah. using their words and their language. And their impure speech because they're worshipping Exactly, two idols different idols. Exactly. So now it's like, no, you're going to call upon the name of the Lord and so your speech will become pure. That's beautiful. Mm. From beyond the rivers of Kush, Kush my wor- worshippers, my daughter of the dispersed ones shall bring my offering. Yeah. So it's already saying that the, these aren't the people who are the chosen descendants of Abraham and David. This is actually people away from that. Possibly, again, like we said, people dear to Zephaniah's exactly. heart. Maybe his, part, partly his, his heritage. So cool. So it makes yeah. it even more powerful where it's like, no, this is not just some distant person or people group. This possibly is even my family. Mm. that is being restored to yeah. God, which it's is really, cool. really cool. Really, really cool. Okay, so then it talks about the nations being restored to God. Mm. The, um, the proud ones being removed. That's right. Um, the ones who misused God's holy place will be taken away from that. But verse 12, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. They shall graze and lie down, and none of and none shall make them afraid. So cool. So it's really brings back in this. There's this constant pastoral image of the goodness of God, like it comes up in the Psalms. Psalm 23 is a really big one, but uh, you know we see it in Ezekiel with the river and the, the abundance of fruit. There's this mm-hmm. real kind of sense of peace and calm and like green pastures, and it just sounds lovely. Sounds graze delightful. and lie down. None like, of them shall make them Particularly afraid. poignant yeah. in Brisbane, Australia at the moment, where it's yeah. hot and dry, we're in drought, there's fires everywhere, the sky looks like it's the day of the Lord. Yeah. You, know, you read this and go, oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah. You know? uh, it sounds really, really nice. So he, he said that the nations will be brought into a place of intimacy and unity, and those who have set themselves up in opposition to God will be removed. And then it goes on and it talks about Jerusalem. So mm. it centers now on the particular place of Jerusalem. And we know that you know, eschatologically, Jerusalem is very important. Mm. We don't have time to talk about much of that now. But anyway, uh, it says here, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. And then this is beautiful. The king of Israel. So I'm thinking like Josiah. Yep. Or the Davidic king coming. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. Yeah. You shall never again fear evil. That's awesome. So it explicitly says that the restoration and the deliverance out of exile or... You know, we're now reading into it as the day of the Lord, the coming of Jesus, whether first or second, is a king. Yep. It's the king. It's the king of Israel. 
the Lord, yeah, totally. who's going to come into our midst. Now, we obviously are reading into this. We recognize that this is Jesus. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. Yeah. He's from the Davidical line. But I think it's things exactly like this, where Jesus says to the Pharisees and the teachers, the Lord come scribes, on. says, you search the scriptures daily, thinking that in them you have eternal life, but it is them which speak of me. Mm. The King of Israel, the Lord, God and King together. It's like, whoa, 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 this yeah. isn't how it works. Do you not remember what happened with Samuel? That's like right. the whole, we've rejected God as king. We want a person, a human. God's like, well, you get both. Boom. Yeah. There it is. And I love it here. It says he's in, he's in your midst. Yeah. He shall never, you shall never again fear evil. It goes on and says, on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Yeah, come on. So cool. So good. And that's probably one of the most common passages, I think, that, that we you know, refer to here. And I was reading one commentator that said, this, this passage here, verse 17 and 18, this is the John chapter 3, 16 of the Old Testament. Yes, exactly right. I was like, yeah. I was like it's so true, it is. It says right here. The Lord your God, he's in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Mm. It's like for God to love the world, that he would send his only son into the world, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's mm. like that's where Jesus came into our midst so that he could save us. Yeah. And this is presupposing that yeah. idea. Oh, look, it's it's awesome. I mean, it takes in the full kind of range of scripture. It's taking us back to that Edenic environment like Eden where God and humanity were in each other's midst. They were present. Like this is a presence deal. This is God's presence with his people. This is shown in Jesus walking around. You know, God in human form, skin Incarnation. On. Yeah. yeah. But then the Holy Spirit who is God's presence in our midst. Yeah. Like this is all of that. Uh, he's with us. He's re- And I just love, again, this is why you can't take it overly literally, but you've got to understand what it's saying. So not because I don't think God's doing, not doing these things, but he quiets us with his love. He exalts over us with loud singing. It's demonstrative of his character and his nature. Because mm. like I have kids, I can't quiet them down and sing loudly over them at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those are, but what it's trying to lead us to is an insight into God's character. I mean, this is this is where God gets to celebrate his children. Mm. Like this is God exalting over us with loud singing. I mean, you know, this is him telling everyone who listen, I love these people. These this person is my person. Like mm. this is amazing. Like so this cool. is a side of God that we need to keep in mind when we read the first two yeah. chapters of Zephaniah. So cool. And like, you know, we can we can hardly read this without thinking of God's presence, I think. Well, obviously, you know, we're reading well, into it. That's what it's saying, but it says he's in your midst. Exactly. This is present. This is incarnate. This is the imminence of God, the yep. closeness. The, the closeness newness. of God. And the context for this final bit is Jerusalem. Mm. Jerusalem, for the reader, is where the temple was. Mm. So the temple where God's presence dwelt in the Old Covenant was that place, Jerusalem, obviously the tabernacle and various other places. But now, because of Christ... The temple is us. Mm. The whole the and the Holy Spirit resides in us. And so I just think it's beautiful how God would use this to explain how his presence is going to be in our midst. Yeah, it's so good. And it it's very evocative 
in its presentation of what sounds really like Isaiah chapter 60. Uh, you know, um, the, I'll gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you'll no longer suffer a reproach. You know, it says in verse 19, I'll save the lame, I'll gather the outcast, I will change their shame into praise. So you good. Know, I'll exchange beauty for ashes, you know, joy for mourning, that Isaiah passage, which we know from Jesus' ministry, like this is, he quotes Isaiah 61 saying, you know, the the year of the Lord's favor is here. You know, this is this moment. But we know from rabbinical tradition, from the way that these rabbis taught, was that when they quote a verse, they're trying to bring you an awareness of the whole passage around it yeah. because they didn't have chapter and verse back that's then. Right, that's right. So they'd often talk, they'd say one passage to mean the whole section or they'd talk either side of of a sentence to make you think about the one in between. Yeah. And so Jesus is ushering in this Isaiah so cool. time. This is part of the day of the Lord. This is the Joel verse that is read out by Peter mm. on the day of Pentecost. This is God's setting straight of everything. This is the kingdom of God breaking in. And, and it's what's always been promised and it's coming to the fore. So Zephaniah is bringing that out mm. right now at this point. And so, you know, we would... Yeah, we could try and summarize some of this real quickly is that the day of the Lord is a very close event that happened to the people of Israel. We can't get away from that. So that's where, you know, the Babylonians or the Assyrians were coming in to take the temple over and destroy the land. So that was a, a very imminent, close day of the Lord. But now there's a lot more that we can read into this. Mm. It is in the furthest extent, and probably I would suggest the easiest one to understand. It's a far off time where God's rule and reign the would eschaton. happen. The yeah. eschaton, where it all finishes up, and we've got different mm. perspectives on that. And we're not going to go into them. We, you know, we there's, can. It's another time, it's but another there's a lot time. to talk about there. So that's like this far off time, the day of the Lord, that is coming, and mm. still is. You know, mm. in 2019, it's still coming. <laughs> it's gonna, yeah. it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be possibly scary. Yeah. Uh, but it's gonna happen. But now there's a bit of in between where we would suggest that the day of the Lord has come. Mm. It's uh, come in the person of Jesus. Yeah. Because He's actually initiated some of this rule and reign already. Yeah. Well, and you, you got to think about in the context that. It says quite explicitly in Scripture that Jesus came to take upon him the curse that was supposed to be upon us. Yeah. And that curse includes covenant disobedience. And Zephaniah is saying these people have been disobedient to the covenant and the people who are outside of the covenant are being punished because the ones who were disobedient to the covenant didn't demonstrate the God of the covenant. And so all of the punishment that was upon them, while some of it was visited in that time, God, you know, clearly was was, mm. was preparing this day of the Lord where punishment will be put out on the earth. We know that in Jesus, the punishment that for our sins yeah. was upon Him. That's Isaiah fifty three, right? It's the whole the suffering servant, the, yeah. the 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 man of sorrows, and so in some sense, the relationship that we have with God now as Christians, because of the work of Christ, is reflected in Zephaniah three, this section. So God is in our midst. He is actually able, strong enough mm. to save us because he's done that saving work in Jesus. And so by his spirit does that saving work. Now he will rejoice. Like This is like Paul and John all unpacked <laughs> this section. Like, yep. like they just take this idea and run with it because Jesus has expressed yep. this in their their lifetime, in their viewing, in their, their experience of him. And the spirit brings these things to the fore in the the believer's life. And so how that happens, uh, 
you know, we could again, we could talk about for ages and ages yeah. and ages. But so good, that's oh, the best bit. It's oh. it's yeah, Whew. and and even how we are then saved and how we are then you know you know some people would say caught up or some would say restored or some would say redeemed. Uh, some would say you know put in a final state or whatever. Um, but I think a good way at least to think about it is what from Zephaniah what he says in chapter two. Verse 3, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do just commands, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, and then you will be hidden on that day of the Lord. Mm. And it's similar even language to, again, what we were saying in Paul, in Colossians 3.3 3 it says, I'm hidden in mm. Christ. Yep. So it's, it's, you know, I died, but now I'm hidden in Christ. Mm. And so... There's some beautiful picture of Christ being the one who's actually, yeah, not only redeeming us, he's not only the one who's taken our place, but now we are in fact hidden in him, Mm. which is beautiful. Yeah, and then the whole thing finishes, and as we land it, it finishes with this beautiful picture in verse 20. At that time, I'll bring you in, you all, you all, plural, And at that time, I will gather you all together, for I will make you all renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. So he's bringing in all the nations, all the people together. It just, for me, it just is reminiscent of like Hebrews 12, like this place where God brings everyone into his presence, into this this celebration. And and it's this multi-ethnic family, all, you know, tribe and tongue on heaven and earth, you know, they all come together. It's, so it's this expression of God's kingdom being presented in the people of the earth who have come to him. It's the way he wraps it all up. So cool. I love as well that the the book as a whole, it bookends with the Lord. It kicks off and says, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, and it finishes with saying, says the Lord. Yeah. And so, man, God is definitely amidst this and he's definitely a part of it. Mm. And if we are trying to now separate him from the pain or from the sorrow or from the destruction or judgment, I think that would be not what Zephaniah is trying to get across. Yeah, I I think for me what I take away and where it lands really for me is I can sit in a place of fear going, oh, will I be like those people? Or I can take Zephaniah's instruction from the Lord, seek him, be part of that remnant. Like, I can only do what I can do, but what I can do is seek the Lord. Mm. And that's what we do. So cool. And we step into that place. Like we, The blessing is we get chapter three. Come on. So Woo. know as well that he is rejoicing over you as singing. Yes, he is. <laughs> uh, just as you can sing to the Lord and make and make your thanks known to him, he's singing over us. I just, just like, you know, we know from like, you know, John, he writes that we can only love because he first loved us. Uh-huh. I wonder if we can only worship we can only sing to him because he first sung over us. Maybe. I don't know, maybe I'm making up heresy. Maybe I should not put that bit in. But anyway, just <laughs> no. popped into my head. That's great. Yeah, awesome. Like That's, we only worship yeah. because he first made a way for us to worship. Yeah. Isn't that That's good? True. That's ah. true. Worship is more than singing. I know worship is more than singing yes. before you write it and complain. But I think that's why we sing because he sang over us. First. So cool. Come on. All right. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Wow. It's so cool. Well, thanks for jumping in with us uh, if you're following along uh, still. <laughs> We're in... Only episode nine of 12. We've got three more to go. We do. We do. And we are not done. We are not done, but we are done for the year. Yes. In fact, we're going to take a break. Taking a little break. Over the month of December. 
Yeah. Pretty well. Yeah. Maybe early January. We'll yeah. see how we go. We'll see how we go. But uh, we're going to be back with episode 10, 11, 12 of the yes. 12. So, so some tension, some anticipation. Yeah. How's it going to end? How's it going to end? That's right. You'll find out. Um, and so make sure you subscribe. Make sure you follow us along. Uh, and Whatever w- podcast app right. you use, make sure you subscribe because then you'll be notified when we pick that's up right. again in the new year. Yep. So, yeah, we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.